Father, we pray this morning as we study your word, God, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, that we might see from you, that we might hear from you. Father, that we would not leave unchanged. Father, we love you. We pray your spirit would be here with us, fill us, help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth and continue to worship even now in Jesus' precious name, amen. It is so good to be with you this morning. If you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 31, Psalm 31. This morning I was prepared to come and do a message on, on Matthew 24. I taught on it yesterday morning and was excited to teach, but the Holy Spirit wanted something different for us this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 31, uh, an incredible psalm talking about the Lord, the fact that he is our refuge, that he is our strength. As we struggle in life, he is there with us to comfort us and to help us. Now, the reason I'm bringing that this morning is probably because of what I've been through for the last four weeks. On Christmas Day, a dear friend of mine that sits next to me in men's breakfast um, had a stroke. He had a massive stroke. They said at Lexington Medical Center it was the largest brain bleeds they'd ever seen. There was no hope. They said to, uh, no, no use using the machines. Um, we prayed and God did a, a bunch of miracles. And um, we had him seven more days. He was able not only to speak, he was able to move his left side and things that you don't do when you have a stroke that is of that magnitude. And um, the family got to say goodbye. We thought he was going to heal. But on the seventh day, the Lord took him very quickly. And um, within a week, I was in the hospital again on Monday morning with Kim Fiddler. Kim's our church secretary at Lexington Calvary Chapel. And um, we were there just to say hi, uh, looking forward to watching the national championship that night. Kim and Phil have uh, their season tickets to all the Clemson games and they're big fans and we uh, were excited at the hope of Clemson winning and indeed they did. But um, Phil went in at two in the morning, he had a cough, he's a landscaper, owns a landscaping company, very strong, very, very strong. And um, so Brian, after our meeting on Monday morning at work, Brian Brown, my assistant, said, let's go over and see Phil. And so we went over and went to Park Ridge and they were doing a great job there, but as we came in the doors, we saw Kim through the glass door talking to the doctor, and what ended up happening is when Phil was admitted at two with this cough, and he had been to the doctor three times over the previous couple weeks, um, they had misdiagnosed it. Um, he was in congestive heart failure and didn't know it, and it took them days to figure out what was happening because of the elevated white blood cell count. But within four hours, they were putting a ventilator in. He went into cardiac arrest. And Kim walked in right in front of us. He had, she had gone home to get changed and shower and put on her Clemson, um, Clemson sweatshirt to watch it with Phil. And, and um, he never woke up. He was with us a week. And we had hope and prayed that God would heal him. But the Lord, again, took him home. And no doubt in my mind, both of those men not only know and love Jesus, they're with Jesus now. That not only is our hope, our hope is not the normal hope of 
maybe it will or won't happen. It's a sure hope. It's an assurance of things to come. It's a hope knowing that we will see Phil on the other side. We will see Skip when we get there. And we will see those who are in Christ when we get there. And brothers and sisters, there is no sting in death any longer for us because we are in Christ. The sting has been taken from death. The fear is now gone. We can die knowing that we will be in the presence of Christ because of our love and our faith in him. So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 31. We'll be in here today. David starts out, And you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. David realizes that he needs a refuge. Do you realize that you need a refuge? Do you realize you need a place to go, to hide you, and to shelter you from the things that this world throws at you? That is an important step to realize that you do need a refuge. David recognizes this, and he says... Let me never be ashamed in your righteousness. Deliver me, incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. Who is our rock? Jesus is our rock. If I can step down here, it'll give me a little more. Jesus is our rock, isn't he? He's our strength. He's our rock. He's our shelter. He's a a shelter in a time of storm. He is there for us to rescue us. He is there for us to protect us from those fiery darts of the enemy of Satan when they come at us. Those darts come in two ways, typically covertly and overtly. He has different plans for different times in our lives, meaning this. He's right in your face sometimes, but other times he's building a, a scheme, and he's scheming against us, and it's covert. These are things way higher than we can understand, and we need a refuge. We need a place of strength, a place to shelter us in our time of need. David says this, incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly. Does anybody have the King James in here this morning? Anyone? The King James uses even stronger language than incline your ear. Uh, It says bow your ear which is uh, pretty presumptuous if, uh, if you think about it. But David had a close relationship with God, and he wanted God to listen. God, please listen to me. This is incredibly important. Father, I need you. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me, you will put me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Those who we love, those who we work with that are hard to get, a, to, to, um, to get along with, it's amazing where our trials can come. This week I've had trials within my family just wrestling through issues. Uh, I've had trials at work dealing with people, even a brother in Christ who is very, very, very impatient, who's demanding that I do things on his timetable when we have everything set up to do it on our timetable and was demanding. And where do you run during that time? 
Where do you run when things are difficult, when things are confusing, when there's chaos, when there's miscommunication, when you feel that you haven't been understood? You run to the Lord. We know from Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he interprets those in a language we don't even understand before the Father. And he takes our prayers, he interprets those, and they're listened to. He does incline his ear to us. Hebrews says that we are, when we pray, we go actually into the Holy of Holies. And not only does he hear our prayer, he answers our prayers. Verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Now this goes right to, this is prophecy. Jesus actually used this phrase, didn't he? This is the last thing before he died. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And undoubtedly he was thinking of this psalm. He was actually thinking of the fact that God was his rock. The fact that his father, even though he had turned his face from him on that cross, he knew that he was his refuge and strength. He knew where he was going, not only when he died, but when he would be raised again, and then when he would be lifted up to live with God for all of eternity, right? Deployment complete, mission complete. Labor's done. Into your hand I commit my spirit. At this point, he was giving all of our sin into the hands of the Father. He was taking all of that. He was giving us all of his righteousness and placing that on us at this point, which gave us the ability to come to know him and love him and walk with him as his child and gives us the right to interact with God at this deep, deep, deep level. To wrestle with life. To wrestle with God as Jacob wrestled with God. God delights to wrestle with us because we're his children. And sometimes it takes the wrestling to get us to understand, doesn't it? Sometimes it even takes him touching our hip through pain to get us to understand and to learn, doesn't it? But he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful because of his great love for us. Verse 6, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. Do we live in a culture filled with idols? We do, don't we? Anything that, that, that brings us to awe, anything that is raised up against the knowledge of our great God, anything that clouds the senses and causes us to be distracted away from those things of the Lord are idols. And if there's ever a time, ever a place, ever a culture that has idols, it's, it's, it's here in our culture and it's at this time. Our time is completely taken up with life, with work, with family, but then after that, it's taken up often with TV, with devices, iPads, I have those, I have uh, cell phones, right? These things 
uh, take up our times and these new apps and all of these things, they cloud, but it goes much further than all of that. I'm fascinated by this new idol that came out many years ago now, the Tesla. I'm fascinated by a car that I don't have to fill up with gasoline and save the highway tax taxes and the fuel taxes, all, all, everything. I, you know, I'm fascinated by these things. I'm fascinated by a car that can go zero to 60 in under three seconds. I'm fascinated. That's an idol. That's an idol for me. I have to keep it away from me. I can't go test drive a Tesla. All right? They're idols, the idols of the age that, that, that bring awe out of us, okay, that cause us to stop and think, you know what, if I had that, I would truly be happy. If I only had this, I would truly be fulfilled. We live with idols continually, and David is so close, so close to the Lord, so walking in the Spirit, that he hates those who regain, who, I'm sorry, to regard vain idols. But I trust in the Lord. He doesn't need the idols of the age. David doesn't need those things to fill up his time and fill up his senses. Just think if David had had the, the diversions that we have. Do you think the Psalms might have been written? I would think the Lord would have given him the grace to overcome all these temptations that we live in constantly. He wouldn't have been watching TV eight hours a day. He would not have been on social media four or five hours a day. He would not have, he couldn't have, to write the Psalms. Moses is another one, all right? Now, we're not Moses and we're not David. At the same time, we want to walk with the Lord and we have to realize what we give our time to and what it does to us when we give our time to it. And brothers and sisters, I'm there with you. I'm wrestling all the time. I had to put an app on my phone that told me how much time I was spending on it just three weeks ago after Christmas. It's great tools. Facebook is a great tool. It was a great tool to connect with my brother as his father suffered. It was a great, great tool to get the prayer requests out for my brother Phil and my brother Skip. It was incredible, all of the prayers from all over the world that came in, literally. A great tool. But it can also be used against us, can it? It can also be used for great, great sin as I've watched brothers and sisters and friends fall, falling into uh, uh, extramarital affairs through these social media ports. We have to guard our hearts, brothers and sisters. Amen? I will rejoice and be glad, verse 7, in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction and you have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. If anybody had the opportunity, more than anyone I know, to perish, it was this man right here. Not only at the hands of Saul, but think of the battles he was in. Think of the combat he was in. I mean, this guy could have been taken out any time. But when we are the Lord's brothers and sisters, we're safe, or are we not? To, because he has not only our hairs numbered, but the days numbered of our lives. And we don't have to live in fear because we know that we're not going until that day. So we can go on the battlefield. We can enter 
dangerous places. We can go through the valleys of the shadow of death knowing that we can not only get through that, but he'll give us the courage to make it through that. And we don't have to live in constant fear, do we? We don't have to worry continually, do we? We do not. Be gracious to me, verse 8, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. David here, if you can see, is wrestling with life. He's wrestling with trials. He's wrestling with even bodily issues. His eye is wasted away from grief, his soul and his body also. Grief has affected him so deeply that it has in a way immobilized him in these verses. In 1 Samuel 27, he goes and lives with the king of Gath. And I was over in Israel a few years ago and You know that tradition says that when he went to live in the Philistine territory with the king of Gath, that Saul took his mom and dad's lives? I I never heard that before. You never hear about them again. It's very interesting to think that that could have been the case. Regardless, he lived with grief, did he not? He lived with grief. The Lord wants us to grieve and grieve well. It's okay to grieve. It's important to grieve. When my mom and dad were on the mission field, they went to Moody Bible Institute and then went down to Peru. My, my sister was born there, my younger sister, and she died within two weeks of her birth. And one of the things mama went through is not being in a culture she was familiar with, but also being with a group of missionaries on a church planning team that were unwilling over the long term to understand her grief. They understood it right away, but they were soon telling her, Judy, you need to get through this. You need to get over this. And it's something that she could not get through and get over quickly. Part of it, I think, was the manner at which things happened. Um, Down there, you bury uh, somebody immediately, or you go through the Roman Catholic service that lasts for days, and you have to hire mourners, and it's very... um, it's not, it's, not a, it's not evangelical, okay? It's not, it's not biblical. It's not the way that God has called us to grieve. So probably part of it was that. When I, went to, when I told her I wanted to go to CIU, uh, what was then Columbia Bible College, she just she shuddered. Because the missionaries that had encouraged her to just snap out of it were the ones that had gone to the, my, my alma mater, uh, CIU. And it was just probably their theology or what they had been taught. And they didn't allow her to grieve and comfort her probably the way they should have. But God wants us to grieve and he wants us to grieve well. It doesn't mean that we grieve though as the world grieves. What does the scripture say? We don't grieve as the world grieves, do we? We grieve as ones with hope. We know where our hope comes from. We know that we're going to see my sister on the other side. I tell some that she's been worshiping now for almost 50 years, 
when I get there, she's going to probably teach me how to worship. Now, verse 10, it shows something that we know of David, but we also know of ourselves. His strength has failed because of his iniquity, and his body is wasted away. He's not only wrestling with grief, he's also wrestling with his own sin. Brothers and sisters, we need to wrestle with our sin. We need to be honest about our depravity. We need to be honest about the fact that we're sinners saved by grace. We need to never get beyond that, because if you get beyond that, and yes, you were in Christ, our identity is as sons of, and daughters of the living God, and we are whole, and we are righteous, but we also need to remember, until we get there, that we are also sinners, and we need to wrestle with that sin. We need to be honest. As 1 John says, we need to confess our sins. For he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We need to continually realize that our sin stands between us and the Lord. And we need to continually confess that sin. His sin is bothering him to the point it says his body is wasting away. Now, I don't know if he physically contracted a disease or an illness I don't know if he's gone into depression here. It's pretty severe according to the wording here. But we know, we know that David had a refuge and a strength. And we know that we have a refuge and a strength that's outside of ourselves. And God tells us when we are weak, he is what? Strong. Amen. Verse 11, all of my adversaries... Because of them, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street, they flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side while they took counsel against me. David here realizes that not only has his sin affected himself, it's also public. It's being transmitted out from himself into those he lives around. And the reaction of those who are around him is pretty severe. This could have, as you see in Psalm 32, again, another psalm of confession as Psalm 51 is as well. But this could have been what he was feeling when he truly realized that he took out one of his mighty men and those guys were pretty ticked off. Those were his 30 or 33 inner circle. These are the guys that went on the battlefield with him and had his back at every turn. He set one of them up to be killed on the battlefield. The word gets around and you know what? It's rough going at that point. It's part of the consequences of the sin that he chose. It's the consequence of giving in to the temptation to sleep with Bathsheba and then take her husband out. Brothers and sisters, please be warned. Temptation is real. Sin is sweet for a time, isn't it? And then it turns rancid 
then it will betray you for the rest of your life, depending on the size of the sin that you choose. At this point, those who are close to him, those who see him, are treating him very badly. But they're sinning in this as well. Verse 13, they're slandering him, okay? He's got terror on every side, and they take counsel together against him. They scheme to kill him in verse 13, all right? This is taking it to another step. Brothers and sisters, God does forgive us for our sin. At the same time, at the same time, he also, according to Psalm 23, he vindicates us. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what do we do? Let's turn over a couple chapters. As we go through the valley of the shadow of death, look what happens in verse 4. I fear no evil for what? You are with me. You are with me. Brothers and sisters, our Father, he never leaves us and he never, ever forsakes us. That's a promise. That is a promise. Even though terror is on every side, the valley of shadow of death is there. But look what he does in verse 5 of chapter 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my what? Enemies. That's called vindication. You know what vindication is? Vindication is you doing the right thing and those around you accusing you of the wrong thing or worse yet, slandering you saying all kinds of horrible things about you, but God lifting you up in their presence and showing that you were right, showing that his blessing is on you and not them who are slandering you. Vindication is a beautiful, wonderful thing. This picture in Psalm 23 is, is actually in the presence of our enemies, God preparing a wonderful banquet before us and giving us this and us being there at the table and those who are our enemies watching as we eat. It's a beautiful picture. And it shows how much he loves us and is going to care for us, take care of us. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. Verse 14. I say you are my God. I think of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. God is sovereign, is he not, brothers and sisters? Every particle of this universe, every atom is under his sovereign control at all times. We do not have to worry. Even when we have blown it, we do not have to live in fear. Because he's our daddy. When we come back to daddy and tell daddy we've done it, our Abba, Abba Father, he not only forgives us, he reconciles us, does he not? And we have that sweet fellowship again. Those blessings can start again. And even the strength to get through the consequences of the choices that we've made. That's called mercy. God mercifully allows us to walk through those consequences and as they're with us at each part of those. And you know what he does many times when you pray for mercy? So many people don't, don't teach this. 
please pray for mercy. It's throughout the Psalms. When you pray for mercy, do you know he can mitigate those consequences? Do you know that he can lessen those? Do you know that he can change the course of those consequences that should happen to me when I sin and should happen to you when you acknowledge that you've done it and you've blown it and a, and a train's coming your way and you're about to get run over? He can change the course of that train. He can lessen those because he loves you, because he wants to have your back, because he wants to take care of you. And he will show you over and over again when you repent that he has it all in his hands, even the consequences of our sinful choices. Verse 16, make your face to shine upon your servants. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Now, you'll find a lot of imprecatory psalms in the New Testament. Jesus says, the new commandment I give you, <laughs> it's a tough one. Oh, it's so tough. Pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies, okay? Now, there's a part of us, the precatory psalms, that's still down in there, deep down. And the Lord will explain it all to us and fit it all together for us theologically when we get to heaven. But God can often use your prayers to save the most wicked that are coming against you on their behalf. When you choose to love them instead of hate them, he can pour heaping coals on their head and change the course of their lives so they don't spend eternity in hell. You may want them to go there, okay? But he's asking us to do something exceptional. Brothers and sisters, there's no way we can do it without the presence of the Spirit. There's no way. Not in this flesh body that we have. We must ask the Holy Spirit to help us when we are praying for the destruction of those who've hurt us and our families, our children, our people. We need to pray for the strength for them. Now, we can hate the world system. We can hate the enemy. We can focus our prayers against him and the evil that we see around us. I'll, I'll be honest, this week as I saw this vote up in New York and watched them allow abortion to the moment before a birth, it, it hurt me deeply. I was angry. I couldn't believe it. That you're going to take a baby's life right up to the point at which even they could be born perfectly whole. It's okay to be angry at things like that, but people themselves, God wants us to cover them in prayer and to do things to love them even though they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Amen? Verse 19, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Brothers and sisters, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the fear that we have for God is not the fear that you might think of. Because it says we no longer live under a spirit of fear any longer. That's the verse that says we now live as adopted children who call him Abba, Father, Daddy. Okay? At the same time, 
if we don't realize who God is and reverence him, if in our minds and hearts we've never stood before Mount Sinai and seen the smoke and the lightning and seen rocks split apart in our hearts and minds and realize that we serve a God who created the heavens and earth that is awesome, awesome in all his ways and all his power and all his strength, then we need to learn that soon. We need to not come to God casually, but with reverence. Reverence is what we need. And that really is the best definition I have found for fear, is a deep reverence. We know that this God is an awesome God. I think of the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if anybody in here has read those. But I think of Lucy when she asked Aslan, the God figure, the lion, right? Are you safe? He said, no, I'm not safe, but I'm good, but I'm good. God is not safe, but he is good, and we need to reverence him. How great is your goodness? Verse 20, you hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. He hides us in special places, brothers and sisters. He keeps us. He shelters us. These are all protective terms. Even from the strife of tongues. The strife of tongues. Dissension, anger, backbiting. You know, as I read this verse, I think of what we said as children. What was that little rhyme we would always say? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that what we said? Is that true? No, it wasn't true at all, but we all said it, right? He shelters us, verse 20, from the strife of tongues. It hurts when we are slandered. It hurts when we're targeted. Blessed be the Lord, verse 21, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me, in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. David was concerned. But this was not truth, meaning this. He was afraid that God would set him aside. He expresses the same thing in Psalm 51. Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please don't. Did he deserve it? Do we deserve it? We do. When we sin, we deserve the Holy Spirit to be taken away and to be abandoned. But does he abandon us? Did he abandon David through murder and through adultery? Will he abandon us? He will not. He will not. That's an ungodly belief we must put to death. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He will never leave us or forsake us. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. Brothers and sisters, we need to cry out to our wonderful God. He is approachable. He is approachable. He's a daddy. He wants us to come to him and approach his throne. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Brothers and sisters, the only way we can be faithful, the only way 
we can love the Lord. The only way we can be godly ones is to know Jesus Christ personally, to be born again. The only way is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When we do that, all of this is open to us. The hearing of our prayers, the blessing of our lives, him mitigating those circumstances when we have sinned and deserved the very worst. Verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can be strong. Even though we're going through these circumstances and whatever circumstances you bring here today, we can be strong and we can have courage because he is our refuge and our strength. Because as it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of courage and love and sound mind. In this culture, a sound mind is something to be cherished. No, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm sitting there yesterday at the table with my daughter-in-law, Meredith, who's in her five-year education program at CIU. She's, she'll be done next year. And my aunt, who's a teacher, and my aunt is 76 years old, and they're talking through the mental imbalance in the culture and the fact that a lot of parents now are becoming more and more mentally ill, and you're dealing with people that are irrational and how difficult that is. Let your, be strong, let your heart take courage, even in the face of the craziness that this culture is making people into. We can be strong. We're going to be those who, when we deal with the demons of our age, don't succumb and are able to walk through it because God is our refuge and our strength, a, a very present help in time of trouble. Let's finish in Romans 8. If you'll turn with me to Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans 8. Verses 35 through 39. Let me ask you the question in verse 35, brothers and sisters, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Brothers and sisters, we suffer here. We suffer in many ways here on this side of heaven. But, verse 37, in all these things we overwhelmingly give in and succumb. We conquer, don't we? We conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. You know what that's speaking of there? That's speaking of demons because angels are not going to lead you astray. Demons and principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. You don't have to fear the future because God is our refuge and strength, because he's got your back, because he loves you. Amen? Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're up in a spaceship 
and you're going up at thousands of miles an hour and it blows up, height nor depth if you're down in a submarine, checking out the beauty of the deepest parts of the ocean and things malfunction? Is there anywhere that God separates his love from us? Never. Nowhere. There's not an atom, there's not a molecule anywhere in all the universe that's outside his protective hand. He is our refuge and our strength. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are a great and mighty God. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, God. When things are hard, when we lose somebody we love, when we grieve, that you are there with us to comfort us, to lift us up, to hide us, Lord, under the shelter of your wings because you are our God and you delight in us and you want to protect us and help us. Even, Father, when we are not able to emotionally keep it together, God, you are there for us. Father, remind us that we don't live with the spirit of fear or timidity, but God, you have given us a spirit of courage. Strengthen us, I pray. Help us to run to you when we have sinned and we are getting ready to deserve the worst of circumstances, Father. Help us to run to you for mercy and strength. Help us to confess our sins, please. And we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.